This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Hey, welcome back to the program. Welcome to Hour 2. Elliot Friedman is going to be joining us here in a couple of moments. He has to record something. Uh, so him and Kyle are putting something down at the Board of Governors right now in Florida. When he's done, he'll hop on. And a number of things to get into with Elliot. And I think going into this latest edition of the Board of Governors, we were wondering what the situation with the salary cap was going to be. Not exactly a surprise out there that many general managers, certainly amongst the elite teams, the capped out teams, would like a a little bit of relief, a little bit more of a, a buffer than the $1 million may provide at season's end. You know, I think that there was, um, there's a feeling around the league that it's much more desirable to have a salary cap bump that's moderate right now that extends over the next three years than to go from like $1 million now to $4 million next year. That the relief is needed now. Like we talked about, you know, release valve, you know, let out some of the steam, give some teams a little more breathing room because right now, you know, after we all understand, you know, COVID and the, the money that the Players Association owes back, um, this is a real tight turtleneck here for the NHL teams, is it not? Like, how many times have you heard, yeah, we're capped out, we can't do this? How many times have you heard, yeah, we're not going to qualify this guy because we can't afford it? Now, the flip side of that is you get some wonderful players that aren't qualified, and it becomes, hey, free player from the rest of the NHL. But it's tough out there for GMs. Like, the art... Like, I've always wondered about this with, with managers. You know, growing up, general managers were always, you know, top of the food chain in an organization. Certainly, they're not owners. Um, but don't forget, this was at a point in the NHL where, you know, owners would check in maybe a couple of times a year. They had their primary businesses. The NHL was a hobby, and they would check in with their managers only a couple of times a year, maybe pop by around Christmas time to exchange cards. And then the season ended to see how the team did. And the manager pretty much ran everything. That was, that was you could make the argument, the height of the art of managing an NHL team. Now, many might say the art of managing an NHL team might be right now because you're playing in a triple-capped league. There's a rookie cap. There's a max a player can earn cap. There's a salary cap itself. And we've talked about rookie caps, et cetera. Like it is a it is a multi-capped league right now. You can make the argument that it's more difficult right now to run an NHL team than it ever has been before. Um, and I would listen to that. You know, I've always maintained that someone like Bill Torrey was the greatest of all time because he, you know, he started a team from a blank piece of paper. You know, he didn't have any shoulders to sit on. And he created not just a Stanley Cup winner, but a Stanley Cup dynasty in that Islanders team out of nothing. I know a lot of people can argue about that, and we'll talk about other you know, managers um, being better. But for me, it's, it's, um, it's uh, the Islanders architect, Bill Torrey. But right now, it's hard. Right now, it's real difficult. And right now, you can... And there's, there's no one that doesn't have a mistake in varying degrees. There's no one that doesn't have at least one mistake you know, go to cap friendly. There's not one team that doesn't have a contract where you look at it and you go, oof, that's the tough one. Everybody has that. The key to being a successful general manager now is, or rather one of the keys, is not to have too many of those, right? You're going to have a couple. 
you just can't have too many or it becomes a Gordian knot. And you pull at one, it tightens a knot in another place. You pull at that spot, it tightens somewhere else. And I think we've seen a lot of teams where that is the case. Some of it is of their own making. Some of it is because of pressure above. Like, do you not look at some teams? Like, let, let, me, let me level with you here. So do you not look at some teams around the league and say to yourself, hmm, I have a hard time believing that this is just the manager's decision, that this contract was just made by the manager. Don't forget, you know, Doug McLean, when we used to work together, would always go out of his way to mention one of the biggest skills you can have as a manager in the NHL is the ability to manage upwards. Once upon a time, again, this goes back to the the Tory era and, and, and after that as well, the Fletcher era, you can call it too, as a manager, all you had to worry about was managing downwards. Now, maybe the best skill that you can have is how do you manage upwards? Because there are a lot of pressures that are placed upon you from above, from the team president. Now, there are owners that are involved more so than ever. How do you manage those? How you manage those relationships dictates in a lot of ways how successful you will be as a general manager and how long you will stay in that position. But there are a lot of teams that I look around at and I say, I'm not so sure that this is solely the decision of the manager. Like there are some pretty obvious contracts out there that you look at and say, oof, I'm not so sure about that. The, um, one of the great books, actually, people always ask me for book recommendations, probably mainly because I do this show at Simulcast on TV and I'm, I'm uh, in front of a bunch of books. Let me find one here. This is the one I encourage, uh, if you're interested in this types of th- these types of things, and I'm always curious about you know the look under the hood the peek under the hood of the car how things get made generally if you're listening or watching to a watching a program like this i'm guessing you're the same way mandatory reading for you is this book and i believe it's out of print but you can still kind of find some of these floating around um it's written by a really intelligent, highly intelligent guy. He's written a couple of really good books. Jason Ferris, who worked for the Dallas Stars organization for a while. The book is called Behind the Moves. Let me get a shot of that. I mean, get rid of my face and just put this book up. It's called Behind the Moves. NHL general managers tell how winners are built. This one is outstanding. And it's, it's one of these books that you can probably write two or three different editions of. And Ferris can probably, I don't know, every five or ten years refresh uh, as you know new uh, new managers come in and out of the NHL and new stories get told about old managers. I think you've probably heard me talk about this one before. I mean, we talked about we talked about hockey history to kick off the program today. I've made the point before that, and I'll reiterate it now uh, as I'm you know promoting uh, behind the moves. I think that managers have an obligation, not unlike presidents, to write their memoirs and document everything that they did while they were managers. Elliot has heard me talk about this countless times and his eyes always glaze over, oh, Merrick, this point again, but it's true. You know, as a day like this, NHL Board of Governors is going on, we're talking about salary caps and how you maneuver under a salary cap and how you manage upwards and how you create your team. 
I think they have an obligation. I think they have an obligation to share that knowledge, or at least to hockey fans, to let them know how they did their business. Because right now, it's still, in a lot of ways, shrouded in secrecy, and there's no school for this. Uh, Elliot Friedman joins me from Florida, home of the uh, Board of Governors meeting once again. Hello, Fridge. Hey, buddy. Sorry about that. I had to tape some stuff, and uh, I'm a bit late. I, I hope I apologize most. No, of no all problem. I had to hear you talk. I had to hear you talk for seven minutes straight. <laughs> That's okay. It's a good chance to work on the chops and stretch out a little bit here. No, I was just going on. Like I, I started the program today by talking about the awards, and I want to get into that with you as well. But then I was, you know, we we're talking. I was, well, I was filibustering on the salary cap, and that led into a conversation about. And I'm trying to figure out whether it was more difficult to be a general manager pre-salary cap or post-salary cap. Pre-salary cap, you have all the responsibility. You have blank pages, you're top of the food chain now, there's the president to deal with, a lot of teams have heavy ownership involvement uh, in their team. Not to say that there wasn't heavy ownership involvement previous, and we think about teams like certainly the Chicago Blackhawks um, through, the, through the 70s and 80s, but just as, a, just as an opinion piece here, Elliot, do you think it was easier pre-salary cap to be a manager, a general manager of a team, or post-salary cap. Oh, I, I think it would have been easier pre-salary cap, and, and it, I just think to me it's an even bigger question the one you're asking. Post-salary cap, it's 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 tougher the puzzle pieces and things like that. But I just think the world today makes it so much tougher with so much. Uh, I mean, always I think when you're in the public eye, you understand that every decision you make, everything you do that's right and wrong is going to get scrutiny. But now it's really crazy yeah. scrutiny. So I think that I think that the whole world now if you know, the whole world now is so much tougher, but I, I generally believe post-sal, like, you know, what, what do you think the least payroll would be if there was no cap? Oh, $120 million. No joke. $120 so, like, million. If you, dollars. Like, if, you think, if you think about right now, like one of the reasons that we all talk about the Toronto salary situation so much is they've got four forwards who are making what they're making, and all those guys are having a great year. But if you think the Leafs had no cap, like, do you think maybe they might have one or two more $10 million forwards? 100%. And, and probably or $10 million even, defensive you know what, as well. Even better, Jeff? Even better? Yeah, I, was, I should have said. Like, they might have a, a, a $10 million defense merit. Like, imagine what their payroll uh, would be. With this roster, they'd be going for it every year. They'd be buying the best defensemen they could. Here, here's the problem, though. Here, here's where the, the logic of this all breaks down, and I'm going along with it with you, but here's where it breaks down. I think if there weren't a salary cap, I don't know that the Maple Leafs would have bottomed out to the extent that they could have drafted Austin Matthews first overall because I think they would have just continued to try to buy their way out of problems, and there wouldn't have been that deliberate Well, dip. look, like, of course. You're, you're probably right. You know, you, you're probably right. But, uh, Jeff, don't bring logic into this discussion. I'm trying to give great answers here. <laughs> okay, very good. The, uh, the Art of the Radio interview by Elliot Friedman. I get it. Let's not <laughs> concern ourselves with facts. Let's concern ourselves with hyperbole and, and outraging the audience. Uh, okay, so uh, day two, what's the snapshot from today? Uh, salary cap is always headline. Anything else we should know about day two at the BOG? Well, the salary cap is the big one, and you know it is kind of funny because nobody was really expecting more than a one million dollar increase 
this summer until the commissioner was the one who suggested it. And now he's like, well, it may not happen after all. And, uh, like, at one point he's saying, like, I don't understand why everybody's talking about this, basically. And my answer was, like, I was thinking to myself, well, you're the guy who suggested it. So, um, you know, it, it, yeah. it's, kind of, it's kind of interesting. Now, I have some theories on this. Um, number one, he said okay. the, the, the difference is, is going to – the difference is projected to be about $70 million. And I think I've told you a couple times now that I've had some uh, owners who said to me that they think it could come down to who makes the playoffs. That if, you know, the yeah. high, we, get, we get a lot of high-revenue teams who make the playoffs, then we could see a situation where the debt is paid out this season. But if we don't, it's going to be harder. So, you know, get ready for the rest of the regular season to be fixed one way or the other. Um, but the other thing, too, here <laughs> is that there's been some uh, conversations and reports about maybe a deal to flatten it out. Like, basically, they told teams yeah. to prepare for the possibility of $1 million, then $4 million, then $5 million. So I, I definitely think there are some agents and players who look at it like, hey, what if we do 3-3-3? Three, three, and three? Well, you know the commissioner, yeah. and you know the way he thinks. If they're going to do that, no they're going to want something in return. That's just the way the business happens. So I think it's going to come down to, do we have some, if, if it gets to that point, are we going to have some negotiation about this? And what's it going to mean? And uh, uh, that, uh, that's kind of what I think the commissioner was saying today. Interesting, too, because we... Um I mean, going going back to I mean, so much of the conversation with salary cap revolves around 0405 and the acrimony between the players' association and the NHL, and no one could make any move without giving the other side a cookie. You know, PA wouldn't budge on anything unless they got something. You know, we were told that a salary cap, Elliot, would solve all this, and this was the spirit of cooperation, and this was the spirit of a an understanding and and doing what's good for the game and what's good for the league. Is there is there not that spirit now by uh, by giving uh, giving general managers a three 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 situation as opposed to a one four five. Jeff, you know how this works. Everything's a negotiation. <laughs> we'll see. I mean, we'll see. Yeah. Like I said, everything. That, that, the more yeah. I thought about that today, the more I, I kind of thought about that. You know, other stuff that came up today. Um, yeah. um, you know they. You know they. I think things that fans are interested in, uh, number one, they did say that they met with Ryan Reynolds about uh, uh, yep. being potentially involved in the ownership of the Ottawa Sanders. The one thing that was asked off camera that they clarified was, does that mean that any ownership group that buys the Sanders is going to have to have or is going to have, be expected to have Ryan Reynolds as part of it? And we were told, no, that isn't the case. But it's very clear the league would like him by the reaction so far. The league would very much like him to be uh, in in the NHL. Um, you know, there's always the questions uh, about the expanded playoffs, and you know, I have to tell you, like we've had this argument before with Batman on the podcast. He hates the idea. Everyone else loves it. Yep. He says that uh, there's no appetite for it. I just think that a lot of the executives here. They don't want to get on Bettman's bad side, so they don't. Well, they won't say anything about it. But I think it's pretty clear that um, it, I, I think it's pretty clear they'd love to see it. They think it would raise more revenue, but they don't want to get on his bad side, right? So that doesn't go yeah. anywhere. And I think 
the other thing too is you know people um you know one of the stories everybody's been following unfortunately is the investigation into 2018 the world junior gal in london and he said they're entering the home stretch of that investigation but there's two other factors here mm -hmm. number one the players association continues its own investigation into it and Bill Daly used the word defer when asked about the London police. He said they might defer to them. He didn't say that necessarily meant 100% they would wait until after the London police continued the investigation. But he did definitely give the idea that if the London police indicated an NHL announcement would affect their investigation, they might consider waiting. Right. So that's kind of where things stand with there. Okay. Um... A couple of other things here. Um, before I get to renaming trophies, I started the show with this, and I want to get your thoughts on it as well because this is all under the umbrella of what the NBA did today. So um, yep. the Bo, the Horvat situation, the Bo Horvat situation in Vancouver. How do you see this now, considering what you know Rick Dollywall talked about yesterday? Well, I, I think they're they're doing their legwork on what a trade could look like. Who's who's interested? And, you know, what, what's out there? Um, you know, I, I think the toughest thing about that whole thing yesterday, and I'm certainly not questioning the reporting, I think it's 100% accurate, was there was a big uh, uh, gala that the Canucks were a part of last night, Special Olympics. And uh, yep. I, I know there were some people who didn't like the fact that that kind of got dropped on the day of that event. Um, but, again, I don't blame Rick for that at all. Um you know, I, I think that it's um, – look, I, I think they're doing their legwork. As a matter of fact, I've heard that they're doing their legwork. They're trying to figure out who's interested. They're trying to figure out uh, what, the, what the market is. And, you know, they're looking for, they're looking for a, a big return. I think you can take a look at what rentals have cost the last few years. Um, and uh, – and, you can figure it out, and you can also figure out that they would try to go to the top, the top end of that. And that's what they're looking at, and that's what they're going to try to do. I don't necessarily think that anything is imminent, Jeff, but I, I believe 100% the work is going on. You know, one of the, um, and again, injuries could be the ultimate wild card here that may determine where he ends up. But as it stands right now, and, you know, this is a team that's, you know, uh, profoundly injured right now. But even if they were fully healthy, I'd be looking at the Colorado Avalanche. That one, to me, seems and feels, Elliot, to make the most sense. I mean, if you ask, they go, hey, which teams are interested in Bo Horvat? You know, the real answer is everyone. Uh, but given that it's an expiring yeah. contract, given the number, given uh, how many teams are capped out, uh, given how many teams already have their number one and number two centers locked up, given you know what type of compensation you may have to surrender in a deal for Bo Horvat, to me, all roads lead to Colorado. Do they for you? Yes, Colorado makes a ton of sense to me. Like to me, that's obvious like super obvious, but I, I think there will be others. And one of the things that uh, I, I think would be interesting is does Vancouver allow, or does a, does Vancouver allow anyone to talk to them? That's number one. And number two, right. is Horvat even willing to commit anywhere? And to me, that's a big part of the conversation. Like, you know, like for example, like, like to me, a team like Columbus, 
Columbus doesn't make a lot of sense to trade for him, but Columbus sure makes Unless, a lot of sense maybe to take a run at him. Yes. Yeah, yeah I if, know what if you're, you're saying. To your point, like, but, if, if if they're allowed to talk to him and, and come to an agreement on an extension, yes, then Columbus makes a ton of sense. Absolutely, Fridge. But also the thing is Columbus isn't trading this year's first round. Nope. Nope, so, not considering where they are in the standings. Not, not a chance. Yes. And who's available. And so, like, I yes. think that's the kind of thing here is, like, so I think there's a lot of moving parts here. Number one is who wants them. And I, and I definitely I think Colorado is a perfect example. But I, it's not only who wants them, it's what this looks like. Is it a rental? Is there, and, and I would tend to believe the closer you get here, the more you're inclined to test the market and be a free agent, um, unless you really get somewhere you want to go. But I, I don't like... It, like, I don't know if you're going to see, like, Hampus Lindholm did it last year. He got traded and he signed an extension right away. But I think there's a lot of players yeah. who prefer to test the market once they get this close. Yeah, you know, I, I, I'm I'm with you on that one. Like, if I'm the Horvat camp, am I saying, well, hold on a second here. You know, we don't know what's going to happen with Sean Couturier. Maybe Philly could be an option. We don't know if Patrice Bergeron is coming back. Could Boston be an option next summer? I'm with you. Like, if I'm, if I'm the end, Pat, Pat Morris is the agent here. If I'm, if I'm Pat Morris and, and Bo Horvat, maybe I'm looking at this and saying, mm, let me see what the landscape looks like in the summer because it could be a real profitable one for Horvat. Yeah, I agree with you. I agree. Uh, and you know what? Okay, I think so let me get this to... whole thing. This whole thing has to be kind of a whirlwind for him too. Like I, I really believe at the end of last season, going into the summer, yeah. I think everybody thought Horvat was going to sign. I think he thought he was going to sign. I think the Canucks thought he so was going to sign. And obviously that didn't happen. And sometimes that's hard to wrap your head around. And you kind of have to just take a deep breath and think and say, okay, what just happened here, and where are we going now? I, I think that happens to people. And that makes it, in a lot of ways, Fridge, even more remarkable that he's having this type of season with all of that swirling in between his ears. The way that he's been able to perform like this so far this uh, this season, that speaks a lot to the player. Uh, okay, so this morning, uh, we're greeted with the news from the NBA. Uh, six new trophies honoring yeah. NBA legends, Chamberlain, Jordan, uh, Hakeem Olajuwon, Jerry West, etc. So... Nor- normally, for a you know, this type of event happens in the sporting world. You personalize it for hockey. We've talked about trophies before and the future of them and the names that are attached to the various trophies. Do you think that there will be any type of movement towards? And I'm not saying like do all of them. Okay, this doesn't need to be a complete mm-hmm. renaming of the awards. Although I, I do think that the Art Ross trophy, should, Art Ross name, should be for oh something else. But hang on, Fridge, hang on. Um, do you think that there will be any type of movement or has there been any type of movement to rename some of these awards? First of all, I, like I saw your tweets this morning, and I completely understand your Con Smythe one. I, I think a lot of people do. But I wish that my life was so uncomplicated that I could, wa- that I could argue that because Art Ross only played three games and had one point, they should change the Art Ross trophy. Like you have way too much time on you. You really do. I do. I do. Uh, um, yes. Actually, this did this did not come up today 
Although I did send the announcement to someone at the NHL who I know has, or in the NHL around the league, who I know has thought about this for a while. And he said, and he said that no question it'll, it'll be thrown around a little bit because this happened. Just doesn't know how much support there is. Like every time this comes up and it's come up a few times, I, I've talked about it, you've talked about it, plenty of other people have talked about it. There just hasn't been the support for it. But, you know, sometimes when this happens, it, it goes one of two ways. You know, like, especially with hockey fans, there'll be some hockey fans will say, see, they did it so we can do it. And there'll be other hockey fans who will be like, well, someone else did it. We shouldn't have to do it. So, like, it's, it's like my parents' old line. Like, if your friend jumps off a bridge, are you going to jump off it too? Are you a follower? Or are you a leader? So... I don't know where this is going to go, but suffice it to say, I did, I did send it to someone this morning. All right, so uh, we shall see uh, on that one. Um, although, listen, man, uh, the Ted Lindsay Award used to be the uh, Lester B. Pearson, uh, and that's been that's uh, right. changed smoothly. Uh, a couple, of, a couple of things here from last night, the Calgary Montreal game. Um, first of all, really great to see Jacob Markstrom. Really great to see Jacob Markstrom yeah. perform like that. Um, second of all, a couple of scary moments, and the most frightening one was seeing Chris Tanev take one in the head. Of course, yeah. we know how Chris Tanev is fearless, how Chris Tanev will put any part of his body in front of any shot. We know that. We didn't want to see it tested, but last night, there it was. Yeah. And I had this conversation with Stelic to kick off the show in, in hour one, and I'm curious your thoughts on this one. We've gone through the era of they'll never make helmets mandatory. They made them mandatory. They'll never make visors mandatory. They made them mandatory. Do you think, I don't know, whether it's yeah. in our generation, Elliot, maybe another generation, that we'll see full face shields mandatory in the NHL? You know, I, I never want to say never because you're right. Things have evolved over time. But I don't think it's the biggest. Like, right now, honestly, Jeff, I think the thing they want to do before face shields is risk protections. Um, I agree with and, that. And yeah. I know they're talking yeah. to, the, to the Canadian Hockey League right now about making that mandatory. Because there was a Canadian Hockey League player who had an ugly one two weeks ago. And they, they decided that they – I think they really want to do that. So – I understand whenever that happens, like last night, and you're right, it was ugly, and I'm glad to hear that Tanev was safe enough to make the trip home with Calgary. I, I think it becomes part yeah. of the conversation. But honestly, I think now the risk protectors are um, more on vogue and in focus than the cages. You know, I, like I would have said a few years ago, Jeff, no way, never. But uh, I do think that um, you're right, the needle has moved enough that you should never say never anymore wonder where that goes. Uh, a couple of things real quickly. Uh, the Seattle Kraken claimed Tolvanen. Uh, not surprised yep. that Seattle put in a claim. To be, to be honest with you, though, Fridge, I'm surprised that he lasted as long as he did. That Seattle was able you. to be successful to, to to pick off the player. I was like when I when I when I saw your tweet yesterday. I'm like, whoa! How did he get down to Seattle? Yeah, I, I completely agree with you. Like, if. Seattle had 23rd, was 23rd among waiver claims, which means number 22 because you take out Nashville. And I was shocked yeah. when I saw that, too, simply because, you know, there's a lot of teams that I saw there who um, could use scoring. And it's not like he's signed to a ridiculous contract or anything like that. 
Um, you know, no? there was when Abel did the promo clip for the podcast yesterday. He used the one line where I talked about how I, oh, there's there was one team that called Tolvin uh, one dimensional uh, to me, and there, there were some people who are more analytically inclined who took real issue with that. They said that they and I think the the, the picture I got sent the most was uh, I think it was Micah McCurdy's, which was. Um, you know, just his defensive impact. And, you know, so I'm not surprised that an analytically inclined team like Seattle would be the one that would take the shot. Also, Jeff, you've talked yeah. about your lust for Daniel Sprong. And, you know, they've found a role <laughs> for Sprong this year. He, 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 doesn't, yes. he doesn't play a ton of minutes, but he plays an effective role yeah. for them. So I'm not surprised at yeah. any of that. I have to say, like, I look at some of the teams that have trouble scoring or aren't very good, and I'm surprised they wouldn't have taken a shot at that. I, I, I was shocked when I saw that team number 22 in the order was the first one to make a yeah. play. You know, you, that, that's exactly the, the point that I was making an hour one. Is I, I, I wonder if this is Seattle saying we may have Sprong version 2.0 here. You know, every every yeah. you know this, Ellie. Every organization has the uh, the arrogance of you know just get them in our program and we can fix them. We can solve all of these problems. Yeah. Well, Seattle seems to be the first team that can really that's unlocked the riddle that is Daniel Sprong. At least appears to in the middle of December here. We'll see what the rest of the season brings. But I wonder if that now extends to Tolvanen. Like ah, we can you know what? No one else can do this Rubik's cube, but we're the masters of the Rubik's cube. We can do this because we did this with Sprong. I don't, I don't disagree. Like, if you've had success, and the other thing, too, is you could probably sell Tolvin and on it. You can probably say, look, like, here's Daniel Sprong. He's bounced around a little bit. We've got something going here. Yep. I think it's easier for the player to buy in if you can show them uh, that kind of evidence. Take care, Dave. Uh, absolutely. Okay, uh, last one for you. Um, coming up tonight uh, on the network, we've got a couple of games. Uh, I want to get your thoughts on this one. The Islanders and the Bruins. We've got this one, 7 o'clock Eastern, Sportsnet East, Ontario, and Pacific. Uh, later on in the evening on Sportsnet, when we have the Capitals and the Blackhawks. But do you have a thought on on either of these teams, the Boston Bruins or the New York Islanders? Uh, well, I mean, I mean, how can you not how can you not like what the Bruins are doing? Um, they look terrific. Um, and now yeah. I, I think the biggest question I have about what the Bruins is, are they going to add or what are they going to add? I'm, I'm really curious about that for them. Um, there's, I mean, they're a machine right now. The Islanders, yeah. you know, the toughest thing is, is that we don't really have clarity on talent, right? Like, yes. all, like they, they aren't giving much. The Islanders, the land that information forgot uh, when it comes to injuries and things like that. Um, but that's a big one. Like, if he's not able to play, and like I said in the last pod, the word was they were hopeful. But if he's not able to play, that's a big loss. And one of the biggest changes that people have noticed about New York this year is that they shoot with their defense more. So it's going to be interesting. I think they're – like. They're, they're going to be in a battle all year long. They're in the battle. Like Boston, you look, barring a major collapse, yeah. they're clear. They're in the playoffs. The Islanders have a big battle, and not having Pellick is a big deal. Yeah. Uh, so we fire up the Jacob Chicken rumors then? Yeah, the thing is, though, like, 
Like, I wonder, I mean, you should, we, we should fire them up just because that's what we do. But I also wonder, like, is there really, like, how many teams are going to be willing to trade their first rounders right now? You talk about what a good draft this is. How Not many this teams year, are be I know. Can I interest you in a 2025 uh, first rounder, sir? Does it have to be a 2023? How about a 2024, sir? Can I show you something yeah. besides 2024 first rounder? I think there's going to be a whole lot of that around. Absolutely. I really do. I really do. All right. Uh, enjoy the rest of your afternoon in sunny Florida, dipping your toes into the ocean. And we will uh, see you when you return to the chilly north, Elliot. Travel safe. Yeah. Give me a break. Okay. Bye-bye. Well, in, 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 all right, see you, buddy. There he is, Elliot Friedman from 32 Thoughts and Hockey Night in Canada.